I'll, I'll give you an inside info. And uh -huh. again, you've done a lot of work, but I'm sure you don't have this one. Um, <laughs> so of, of course, we are very, very uh, fortunate to have uh, Harvard management found in our cap table. But on top of having invested in, uh, in Shari, uh, they've also written a business case about Shari. And I'm happy to share it here with you. You can go on hbs.shari.com and you will be able to read the business case Harvard University has written cool. about, uh, about Shari. That was the voice of Ismail Belkhayat, co-founder and CEO of Sherry. I am your host, Ali Zweil, and this is the Startups Arabia podcast, where you learn about the Arab startups ecosystem from the best founders, investors, and operators in the region. Welcome to the Startups Arabia podcast. My guest today is Ismail Belkhayat, a serial founder from Morocco. After his time consulting at the Boston Consulting Group, Ismail founded two companies in Morocco, the venture builder Wibco and Votre Chauffeur, a ground transportation company in Morocco, later acquired by Avis Car Rental. Of course, Ismail will pronounce Votre Chauffeur much better during the interview. Anyway, he then went on to found Saruti, a real estate marketplace. Within two years, Saruti became the leading real estate platform in the country and partnered with Property Finder, the huge regional prop tech startup, to scale its tech and expand to additional locations. Most recently, in 2020, Ismail co-founded Shari with his wife, Sophia Alj, herself a former McKinsey consultant. Shari is a B2B e-commerce and fintech app for small retailers. Shari has since grown considerably, joining YC, raising over $10 million of funding in several markets entered in French-speaking Africa. Both Shari, Ismail, and Sophia have received many recognitions, including Disruptor of the Year from the Africa CEO Forum. In this exceptional interview, Ismail generously shares best practices and some never-before-heard secrets about Shari. It's a very inspiring conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to Startups of Arabia podcast. Uh, my guest today is Ismail from Shari. He's the co-founder and CEO of Shari. And I'm extremely excited to have this conversation with him because he's just covered so much ground uh, over the last few years uh, from, you know, two exits, starting a startup studio, doing several acquisitions, several funding rounds, growing into several countries, things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot to cover, I assure you. And I just hope that we have enough time to cover it. Welcome, Ismail. Thank you for the invitation, Ali. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Great. So maybe we could just ease into the interview, uh, take a, like a few minutes just to tell me how you went into the world of startups. I know you started in management consulting. So, I mean, how did you end up in startups and why did you start Sherry? Uh, yes, indeed. I, I, I started my career as a, a strategy consultant. Uh, back at that time, I was working for a BCG, so the Boston Consulting Group. First in the office of Paris, and then I moved to the office of Casablanca. And, um, and you know, my, my whole life, I was told, um, here are the right things to do. You know, when you are in high school, they tell you for your uh, 
baccalauréat, you need to do a scientific major. And then they tell you, uh, you have to go to a prep school so you can get to the best universities. And when you get to the best universities, they tell you, you need to keep working hard so you can uh, make it to these, uh, you know, best employers who themselves have uh, their own, you know, selection. And then you make it to these big companies and then you realize that uh, you still need to work hard because if you want to make it to partner, you need again to uh, be among the, the top performers. And one day you wake up, you are probably 26, 27, and you realize that your whole life was just following what the others have been telling you. And myself, I, I woke up, I did the kind of uh, introspection. I asked myself who I really were and what I really wanted to do and what was my passion. And I realized that uh, reality was I am, I am a geek. And when you are a geek, right, and you don't want to work anymore in your life, you do something related to technology. And this is how I decided to, to become a, a tech entrepreneur and how I started uh, about eight, nine years ago. Okay. And, and why did you start Sh Shari's? Yeah, so, so first, eight, nine years ago, I started um, again as a tech entrepreneur. My first uh, venture was uh, a prop tech. I started the, the first um, real estate portal here in, in Morocco. And by the way, I teamed up with an amazing company based in Dubai called Property Finder. These guys are just amazing and building, uh, I believe, one of the best group of the region. Uh, so the... the, the, the the, the portal was quickly uh, successful, became the leading portal. So it was a marketplace. Uh, then I, I started a, a ground transportation company, a kind of Uber-like, called Votre Chauffeur, that got acquired by Avis Rental Cars. So Votre Chauffeur is logistic. Uh, the, the property portal is marketplace. And you know, when you mix both these two expertises, right? Marketplace plus logistic. It gives you basically Sherry, which is again a, a mobile app for the for the local uh, no-name independent uh, mom and pop shops. You know the grocery stores you find uh, around the corner, what we call the, the bakaras. So we provide them with this app, allowing them to order anything they want, and we make sure to deliver the goods to them in less than 24 hours. So that's basically how we started Sherry. Obviously, myself, I had my own experience. You know, we usually we say that when when you want to start a startup, you have to find a problem. And I found the problem by going myself to to a shopkeeper, uh, you know, asking for goods to buy. And then one of the supplier of the shopkeeper came. And while I was buying from the shopkeeper, the supplier, uh, you know, stopped the sale because the supplier was in a hurry. You know how it works. These are vans uh, selling. And so the, the shopkeeper asked me to wait. I was in a hurry, so I also left. Then I came back during the day. I found the shopkeeper doing nothing with no clients, no suppliers. And I just felt the time is not well used. And maybe we could provide them with the app so they can order what they need for their procurement when there are no clients in their shop. And that's how Shari started in, in January 2020. Wow. So... Um a little over uh, about three years ago three and a half years ago right yes and um i want to go really deep on sherry but before i do there are like two things i want to touch upon 
the first one is Wib, I think, dot .co uh, or WIB, I'm not sure, uh, the startup studio. So you're, I think, a co-founder of a startup studio. I mean, how did that come about? And I'm really interested to know, you know, how it's yeah. set up and why you did that. So, so that's that's a very good question. So Wib.co is, is a venture builder or a startup studio. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when I started becoming a tech entrepreneur in Morocco, and that was, again, eight, nine years ago, it was at the very, very beginning of the startup scene. Back at that time, you know, we had no startups or very few, no funding, uh, and even nobody understood what was a startup, right? So uh, you couldn't find any founding by even going to the bank and, you know, telling them I need money uh, without, uh, you know, balance sheets. That was impossible, right? Meeting with, with business angels, they, had, they didn't have the right mindset, and many of them were asking for uh, 50% of the company with their first check, first check, right? So put yourself those in Those are the my... nice ones. <laughs> and those are the nice ones, exactly. <laughs> so put yourself in the shoes of someone who's starting a company that need to burn some cash in a market that was just starting um, and with no ways to, 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 to find the founding. So, so the solution that came to my mind was to find a, a way to mutualize a back office. So what I did is basically I hired the team of uh, developers, marketers, you know, administrative people, and I told them all together, we will be launching a few startups and the front end will be exclusive to the, to the company. So we will have salespeople for, for instance, each startup, but us as a back end, we will be mutualized between all the startups. So by doing this, I could lower the costs of the back end again, because I couldn't afford to have uh, developers for one single startup, because again, the market of each use case was not good enough to be able uh, to cover the costs of the back end. So by doing this, I could again, find some partners in each venture and we could again, limit the costs of the back end and that's basically how 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 we started and the, the first i'll tell you it's very funny but the first company of this uh, venture builder came from uh, my experience at at bcg you know when when you are at bcg they give you a lot of tools to be able to build your decks your slides you when you see the slides of bcg they are amazing or mckinsey they are amazing that's because of the consultants that are great, but that's also because of the tools they give you to make perfect slides. So once you quit your job and you end up working for yourself, you don't have the same tools. So it becomes very difficult to create the same slides. So myself, I tried to contact the companies that were providing these, these tools, and I realized that many of them were outside of Morocco and didn't have any reseller in Morocco. So when I asked for a license, they said, we don't sell a license. You need at least a hundred license for us to be able to sell it to you. So that's how I got the idea to become a reseller uh, of these publishers. And we started with this and then we became a reseller of Google Workspace. Back at that time, the name was Google uh, Apps and then it became Google Suite and it's Google Workspace. 
and uh, again could make some uh, monthly recurring revenue this monthly recurring revenue started paying for again some back office and then the back office the idle time started being mutualized with other startups and that's how one id became a, a venture builder and a startup studio right so so you would or, or the or the venture builder staff would come up with the ideas and then you'd either find a partner to fund the idea with you and you have like a your core team is set up from the beginning or you'd fund it from the idle time that that you know of the team that's building the the first revenue uh, creator, the right? and it's just going options, like that listen both options happened um yeah. you know we, we have you know a startup studio has what we call a cemetery of startups because we keep speaking of, about those who have succeeded but reality is yeah. Yeah. Uh, there are much more startups that that failed uh, but these failing startups are obviously what fueled the, the the successful ones thanks to the learning you get from them but in our case we had various cases we had cases of uh, amazing founders that came to us saying hey i have this great idea but i don't know how to execute it and then we team up with them in other cases we found out a pain point we had a use cases but we were looking for a great entrepreneur to execute it so we go find a kind of uh, great guy who could uh, or great lady to, who could take care of it a little bit the model of of uh, of rocket internet and just for the story right. you know I, just for the story i was very fortunate because when i started Shari, uh so we went through y combinator and uh, and then we started pitching a, a few investors and out of the investors we we pitched there were uh, rocket internet and and global founders capital and i ended up pitching mm -hmm. an amazing guy uh, called Oliver uh, somewhere who is the founder mm -hmm. of uh, of uh, again uh, rocket internet and then who was at the beginning of beginnings of Jumia uh, and I told him about uh, my experience in the venture uh, builder uh, what I've done before Shari and uh, uh, I think it clicked because of this or thanks to this and he ended up investing a million dollar in in Shari yep. and I am very fortunate to have him in my cap table. He is someone who is very helpful. Uh, sharing whenever I send a report, he takes time to reply to it, uh, give advice, and he is always to the point. And uh, and this guy is uh, just a superstar. Wonderful. You never know how things you know work out, how they add up in the end, right? Exactly. So. Before going deep into Sherry, um, maybe I'll ask something related to you. So, I mean, you're an Ironman contestant, uh, you have a pilot's license, you have a skydiving license. You know, you seem to like risky stuff. Uh, is that like something that reflects on your business uh, world as well? <laughs> so uh, at first I'm wondering, where did you get all of these infos? Huh? I'm now asking myself, you're not working for some <laughs> special secret services. <laughs> uh -huh. yes, <laughs> that, that's uh, my job, yes. That's my day job. I, that's your job. Indeed, indeed. I am. Uh, I love uh, I love skydiving. I have jumped more than 200 times. I shouldn't be saying this to my VCs, otherwise they will add <laughs> a risk. <laughs> this is another risk factor, right? <laughs> like this is another factor. I have my private uh, pilot license. I do um, paragliding also. I love uh, motorcycle. Uh, so yes, I, I love extreme sports in general. 
And, uh, and you know, running, running a business in a certain sense is an extreme sport, right? Because it comes with its dose of adrenaline. It comes with the ro emotional roller coaster in which sometimes you feel very tired and sometimes you feel very pumped. Sometimes you feel that you are in, and in the same day, huh, you could in the morning feel like if you were building the next unicorn and two hours later, you receive a message from a VC saying that he doesn't believe in your model. And then <laughs> the rest of the day is, is, is black. Uh, and this is the same with, 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 with sports. Uh, you know, when you run an Ironman, uh, the, you know, the, 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 those who succeed are not the fastest. They are not the, the most clever. They are not the, the richest. They are just those who, who never give up. And the secret of a successful startup is to never give up and keep learning from your mistakes and keep iterating and improving. Um, and it's the same with, with, with this kind of sports. So, uh, there are a lot of similarities between running a, a successful startup and being able to, uh, complete an Ironman. Indeed. Uh, I totally agree. Uh, and I think actually Mark Andreessen was the one who said, he said something like that, uh, you being a startup founder is kind of, you going between extreme fear and extreme exuberance in the same hour, you know, you, you it happens. You're always in one of these two states, never anything in between. So it is a bit of an extreme sport. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to dig deep now into Sherry and the business model. And, and you know, when it comes to cash flow management, uh, I think a key thing for Sherry is that it's kind of, it has a net negative um cash uh, working capital kind of uh, situation because you have different uh, you have longer payment terms uh with your suppliers than you do with uh, with your customers and so how does this business model work and how do how do you manage cash and what can people learn from it in other markets? again you, you again you have some inside uh, info huh? So one day you'll have to tell me what are your sources, but, uh, Just, so listen, the, Google, Google, <laughs> the, the, the model of a B2B e-commerce startup, uh, is, um, so it's not to be a real marketplace. In our case, we are what we call a buy and sell model. So what we do is we go, we go see the, the suppliers. So usually the multinationals, you know, the big names, the, the Procter and Gamble, the Unilever. Uh, the Mach's uh, Kellogg's Pringles, and we tell them, hey guys, when you are in a developed countries, uh, in a developed country, it's easy for you to cover the shops because you have only to speak with the central purchasing body of a big chain. And overnight you could be covering thousands of shops, right? But when you are in developing countries such as Morocco, then the traditional trade, which are the independent shops, are the bulk of the market. And just so you know, in Morocco, for instance, 85% of the fast moving consumer goods are sold through these small shops. And we have about 250,000 of them. And only 15% of the goods are sold in the big chains in the, you know, in the big supermarkets. When in Europe or in the US, it's the other way around. When you have a hundred dollars, you would spend $85 in Walmart 
and 15 in an independent shop. So what you tell to the suppliers is you need to find solutions to be able to cover these small shops. You won't be able to have 200, 250,000 clients. So why don't you work with distributors like us who will be able to provide you with coverage of the market, whether weighted distribution or numerical distribution. And two, because we are using technology, we can start providing you with data and we will be the only wholesaler or the only distributor able to tell you here are your goods, where they are sold, to whom, with what other categories, at what frequency, and so on and so on. So that's the added value we give to the suppliers. And we tell them, because we provide you this service, what we want is a distribution margin. And this distribution margin can move from 5 to 20%, depending on whether they give you front or, and back margins, whether they give you margin for data. If their goods are easily sold on the market, then it's a no-brainer that you will be able to sell them. Usually the, 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 the margin is lower, but when it's a challenger, you tell them if you want to gain market share, work with us, but give me a higher margin. And you, you basically negotiate with the suppliers and you end up having what we call a mixed margin, right? And this mixed margin allows you to cover for first your variable costs. What are the variable costs? Mainly the logistics, which is the warehousing, the pick and pack preparation, and the delivery, which is basically last mile with one truck, usually one driver and one uh, guy to handle, to handle the, the, the goods. Yep. So if your margin covers for your logistics, we say that our contribution margin one is positive. And that's a good sign because it means that if you grow further, you won't be burning more, right? So a company that has a positive contribution margin one is a healthy company that can keep growing by investing money coming from their investors. Good. But then you obviously have some fixed costs that are basically the back office with the tech team, with the management, with the buyers and so and 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 everything, right? Good. Now let's be fully transparent. The, the, the B2B e-commerce at the end of the day remains a distribution margin and distribution uh, a distribution business and the dis and distribution businesses are well known for being businesses with very slim margins and uh, not always healthy unit economics so to answer your question about our working capital requirement we are today very fortunate because we could grow on the market we could get trust from our suppliers again we are the only ones on the market to be able to provide the suppliers with the data and as you know data is king so we could leverage um, this position by negotiating with our suppliers what we call payment terms so with some suppliers we pay them after two weeks others 30 days and we could even get 45 days to 60 days with some suppliers that really trust us and that really need us. You know, when you are a challenger, your SKUs are not well known on the market and you need a strong distributor, you sometimes accept long payment terms. 
So that's with the suppliers. But then the way the market is in Morocco is these small shopkeepers pay you cash on delivery, right? So yep. we use, uh, again, uh, uh, some artificial intelligence and to, to, to dig into our history of sales. And based on that, we are able to predict what's going to be our sales in the future. So we can hold as inventory in our warehouses only something like two weeks of stocks, right? So when your uh, average payment terms are 30 days, you get paid cash on delivery and your number of days of stock are 15 days, you end up in a situation where basically your working capital requirement becomes negative and you have about 15 days of GMV as a treasury to keep founding your growth. So that's basically the situation of a few uh, B2B e-commerce platforms and we are very fortunate to be one of them, uh, one of them today. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the beauty of the model. And, uh, you know, uh, even Amazon in their first uh, years, that's how they grew. They, they had this secret sauce that their competitors yeah. didn't really understand. Uh, at the time, of course, Amazon didn't even hold inventory when they first started. So it was really, really negative. Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm going to share with you a hint. I'm sure you don't have this info, even though you've, you've looked uh, uh, all over <laughs> Uh, but you know, one solution we found in order, in order to negotiate with our suppliers longer payment terms was to, you know, we, we had a lot of, of warehouses in Morocco to be able to do uh, what we are doing. And one day we decided to turn our warehouses into shops. So what we did is we opened the warehouses to our clients. When before we were telling them, hey, we will be delivering the goods to you. We told them, hey, uh, clients, if you come to us, you would be able to see the goods and get a discount on them because we will offset the logistic costs. The delivery, yeah. And the, and the delivery, which makes sense, right? We started yeah. saving on, on, logis on last mile. So yep. we shared basically the, the, the economy with the clients. But by doing this, we moved from being a distributor to becoming a retailer because the day you have shops and you open shops to clients, whether they are B2B or B2C, you are becoming a retailer. So we exactly. went back to suppliers and we told the suppliers, hey, before we were in a grid where you were considering us as distributors with a certain margin, but no, guys, we are a retailer. And we have costs of shops. So we need an additional margin that comes with longer payment terms. And that's how basically we started negotiating the terms and could, and could make them longer. Nice. So that, that is uh, something I haven't seen in any research indeed. <laughs> Although I saw a hint of it. I saw like a, one of the articles had a photo of, a, of what seemed like a shop, you know, with a Shari logo. And I thought, you know, that's interesting. Do they have shops? So now I know the truth, right? I know the yeah. secret. This is a good example. Yeah. This is a, a shop we, we opened. 
Okay, wonderful. It looks really very well branded and well, it looks beautiful to walk into. So, uh, all right. Um, I'll go into maybe another aspect of the strategy and how you differentiate yourself. So, you have several large competitors, regionally speaking, maybe not in Morocco as such, but uh, regionally speaking, and potential competitors that might move into the market, of course. Um, and, and you seem to have a different kind of a strategic approach from them in in the sense that uh, in several ways. And one of them is that maybe the one I want to start with is that some of them have a heavy asset, uh, uh, an asset heavy kind of approach and you have a an asset uh, low approach. You're not, you're renting, you're not buying. So why are you doing this? Why did you take this different approach? Yeah, so, so, so first of all, I'll say that we have two categories of, of competitors. We do have, uh, uh, so the, the, the apps like us, uh, great players that have raised some money and that have expanded to, to Morocco or local startups that could raise some money and who are today competing with us. I, I don't really call them competitors because together we are educating the market. So for me, a competitor is when the market is already fully consumed and you are fighting for market share. But when all together you are building the market and making it grow, grow, it's called partners, right? So I call them partners. And these guys with me are helping uh, educating the users, telling them that using an app is better for them. So. This is the first category of people with whom we are teaming up to create a great market in Morocco. The second category is what I call myself the, the wholesalers. Wholesalers are usually independent workers who usually own one or two trucks, one garage uh, in which basically they, 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 they store their goods and they have a, a list of clients, usually 20, 30 shops that they call and they say, what do you need today? And they go get them the goods from a local cash and carry store and bringing, bring it to the, to the shops. Obviously these guys have lower costs than us because their trucks are in average 15 years old. <laughs> um, they don't usually pay taxes and so on. So my, my, today my real challenger challengers are, are these, these wholesalers, uh, who usually own their cars. Uh, in my very case, uh, and to answer your question, we've been raising money from our investors to, to build what we are building. Um, and the, 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 again, the investors want to see us as an asset free, or I say asset light, because we do own some assets. Our stock is an asset, but indeed yes. we don't own trucks. We don't own warehouses. And the reason is we want to remain very agile, nimble, and light. Uh, and we believe that the money we've raised is better used uh, to be spent on uh, client acquisition. Uh, when, in any case, logistics can still be externalized, and there are exist there exists some 3PLs down the, in the market, and the real added value is not with handling the goods or delivering the goods. The real added value in our business is again to acquire users to make them loyal to you to make to to give them a, an amazing user experience uh, and to make sure to add additional um, revenue uh, added value services on top of it or revenue streams such as fintech as an example right 
And so, I mean, that makes sense. You want to get the most bang for your dollars invested. And, uh, and the way to do that is to be asset light. Um, another maybe way that you're differentiating or, or I think you're approaching the market differently is through your acquisitions that I've seen. And maybe we can start with the acquisition of Carney in 2021. You know, it's, it's providing credit and bookkeeping for the same customer that you have. And I think actually it's a, it's a, a baby of the, the startup, uh, of the venture builder uh, as well. So, um, so it's kind of an in, entry point into your customers, but from, not from the side of selling them goods, but rather from you know, providing them a service that uh, they had. And I, I think they had like 20,000 or something like that customers uh, already. I, I can't remember the number. So I'm, uh, my research, I should have documented it better. So w- why did you acquire Carney and, and, and why did you take this approach? And isn't it like an extra load on uh, Shari that maybe doesn't like go into the serve the main mission of the company? It's a, it's a very good question. And thank you for asking it. Um, you know, again, uh, Shari is B2B e-commerce. And uh, again, uh, when, when we, we wanted to acquire users, uh, your first, uh, my, our first thoughts were to, were to basically um, communicate online. So um, we built this amazing app and we went on social networks, uh, made some videos on YouTube and started displaying them in order to acquire users. And it worked quite well when it comes to the downloads. We had uh, uh, a great a great ads, a great team uh, doing growth, and uh, basically we could lower the cost of the of the download to uh, to a few cents and we felt like we made it. And indeed, we could get hundreds of thousands of downloads, even more than the number of stores we had in Morocco. So we just felt easy to cover the whole country just with social networks. <laughs> but then we realized that between a download and a client making an order, there is a world of steps. Uh, the guy, you know, needs to uh, create an account, add his location, add his number, get uh, an OTP, uh, obviously upload his infos then he has to go through uh, ba- uh, through uh, uh, again the products selects what he wants add it to a basket then he has to decide how he wants to pay when he wants to deliver it it's a nightmare for a population that is not tech savvy i mean when you build something in in the silicon valley or in southeast is asia you can expect from your users to be fully autonomous and be able to download your app and use it till the end. But again, when you are in Morocco and you know that uh, 30% of the population still is illiterate, it's quite difficult to ask them to do all of these steps by themselves. Even though we made some tutorials, some videos, it was quite difficult. So then we had no other choice than going on on the field and we sent what we call ambassadors who are sales reps and their job was to go meet with the shopkeepers knock on their door 
take their phone, install the app, create an account, and take them through the whole process so they can be educated to starting using our apps. And even with these guys on, on the ground, it took the shopkeepers around four to six months to be fully autonomous. Because at the very beginning, they use your app as a catalog to see your prices, to see your uh, goods and, and promotions of the day. And then they start calling you on the phone, asking if you can deliver goods to, to you because they need to feel that you really exist. And then when they know you, they start sending you WhatsApp voice messages. So we have a team at the office whose job is to listen to the WhatsApp voice messages and turn them into orders. And then after three, four months, that's when they become fully independent. When you explain to them that they can get some discounts by using the app, that they can use the wallets and get some cash back on the wallets. But in the lifetime journey, again. Um, so when we realized, we realized this, we understood that scaling by this way of acquiring users, which is having people on the ground, would be too long and too difficult. And again, when we were in Casablanca, it was easy to do it. But then we covered Casablanca and we wanted to expand to other cities of Morocco. And as you know, Morocco is a big country. So we started thinking, how do we acquire more users without having people on the ground, knowing that marketing for uh, Shari was almost impossible. And that's how we heard about models. And myself, I traveled, I traveled a lot in Southeast Asia. And the beauty of building a company in Morocco is that you don't need a crystal ball to find out what are your next steps. You don't need uh, to be very innovative. Uh, and you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You just need to buy an airplane ticket, go to South America or Southeast Asia, see what these folks are doing there, get some inspiration and come back. And usually your innovation comes from the adaptation. So I went to India. I saw these amazing startups uh, that were doing what obviously we are doing, such as Udan, such as Katabuk. And I have been told that client acquisition online is much easier, faster, and cheaper with bookkeeping apps and credit book apps than e-commerce. And the reason is very simple to understand. Bookkeeping or credit book is a very easy app to use. It's like a calculator. The guys download the app and then it opens a calculator. Whenever they sell something on credit, they add what they have sold. And whenever they are paid back, they remove it from the tab. And at the end, anyone, even if you don't know how to read and write, you can still use the app. So we just felt, okay, we have to build our own credit book. So we would use it as a way of acquiring users. And then we discovered that the company that was already doing this, some folks from BCG uh, built an amazing app that already back at that time had thousands of users. So we contacted them, we met with them, we explained what we were doing, and we decided to, to, to team up with them and acquired uh, the app that is a successful app called Carney. And today, Carney is for us our way of acquisition. So we market Carney, we get users on Carney, but we can't monetize it because it has no revenue, mod no business model. However, we 
the, the, the same call center we have at the office, I told you, who, you who, who listen to the WhatsApp calls to turn them into orders, when they don't, when they have time, what they do is they call the database of the users of Carney and we tell them, look, you've been using Carney for months. It's free. You should be happy about it. No, what we offer you is to start using Shari. So we cross sell them. We cross the users from the credit book to the e-commerce and we make money through e-commerce. So acquiring, we acquire users through credit book. We cross sell them to e-commerce and we make money on e-commerce. So that's first objective of Carney. And then second objective of Carney is, so Shari allows us to have the sales in of the goods, of, of the shops. We know thanks to Shari what the shops are buying, but we have no clue about what the shops are selling. So Carney is giving us the data about the sales out of the shops. So it, it closes the loop. And today, I mean, the company we are learning is the only company knowing exactly what the shop is buying, what the shop is selling. So we are able to get some data points. With these data points, we are able to credit score the shops. So if we want to give BNPL solutions or if we want to give payment terms to some shops, we obviously use the data points so we know who are the shops who are lending the most money to their end users. And we can basically move to that space without taking too much risk. So Carney, to summarize, a way of acquiring users, a way to credit score users. So at the end of the day, it's, yep. there are a lot of synergies with, with, with Shari. Absolutely. And we are very happy about this move. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool to understand, you know, the the underpinnings of this acquisition, um, and uh, I, I think it's it's really important to highlight how you had to really be uh, adaptive and uh, you know uh, and understand how customer acquisition works for Moroccan market specifically, rather than trying to do it what people. You know what, what the blog posts from U.S. companies are saying. Uh, you know we should do, uh, and I'm going to take that uh, um, uh, best practice you did. You did by traveling to India, maybe uh, in my next company, and you know see what, uh, try to go there and learn because uh, they are similar at the same time a little ahead. I would expect also Latin America might be a nice place to visit, but but at least in India they speak English, of course. Anyway. Okay, so um, th th that's wonderful. I, um, I've really benefited from all you've said so far. And there's something, though, I, I don't understand about your strategy. So uh, on Shari's website, it says, you know, you're serving the small retailers in, in French-speaking Africa to procure inventory and, and get, you know, financial services, etc. I mean, respectfully, I don't understand the French-speaking part. So, I mean, if, for example, the Nigerian market is... More, or the Kenyan market, say, is, is more similar in structure and in, you know, legal and, and stuff to the Moroccan market, would, would, does it make sense to ignore it and go to another market that's less similar the, to Morocco, you know, because it's not French speaking? Uh, why? Why French speaking? Okay, and, and another good question here. Uh, a, few, a, a, few, uh, a few reasons, but your question is very legitimate. Huh? Because you're right, I'll tell you, the, 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 the English-speaking countries of Africa have uh, a bigger market, right? That's where the low-hanging fruits uh, are. 
uh, and technically speaking, uh, we should go first to English speaking countries. Huh? Um, however, there are a few reasons why uh, we are sticking to, to French speaking Africa. Uh, reason one is, first of all, we don't have competition in, in, in French speaking Africa, right? The big names of the region have raised money in Kenya, in Nigeria, in Egypt, and these guys are staying there, and I think that we'll stay there for the coming years. And hopefully by the time they will be coming to Morocco, uh, or, I mean to Francophone Africa, we would have saturated the market and they won't have any other choice than teaming up with us, maybe through MNA, uh, instead of going their uh, green feet. So, uh, no, so first reason is uh, no competition. When these guys have raised a lot of money, you know, when you come from Morocco and you speak French and you are native in France, obviously it's harder for you to raise funds. And when your markets are smaller, it's harder for, for, for you to, to raise big funding. So I don't want to compete one day with Wasoko that raised $150 million from Tiger recently, when ourselves, again, we, we raised one-tenth of this. So that's reason one. Reason number two is, uh, you know, the fact that we keep moving into Fr French-speaking countries, um, allows us first to find similar markets because at the end of the day the consumption habits are are the same between morocco tunisia ivory coast uh, because the heritage of france is still uh, is still here in terms of consumption but also in terms of legal framework so when you ask for a payment license for instance it's usually the same process with the same kind of documents with the same laws that it has been inspired from the french law right and that it helps uh, and as an example, you know, even with commercially speaking, and that's maybe a third reason, but commercially speaking, myself, when I negotiate with the multinational, uh, payment terms and again, uh, margins, I usually negotiate with uh, not the country managers, but usually the managers of the region. So the sales guys in charge of the region. And usually this region is called Francophone Africa. And so many times I heard the guy telling me, oh, I wish Chari was in uh, Mauritania, for instance. I never heard, heard these guys telling me, I wish Chari was in Nigeria, because Nigeria is not under not them. The region. All right? right? So when the first time I heard, I wish Chari was in Tunisia, I said, oh, that's a hint. And then second time I said, oh, that's a coincidence. But then third time I said, hey, that's an opportunity. So that's, that's why we, we decided to, to, to keep digging into Francophone Africa. And maybe one last uh, reason is, so within our cap table, we have uh, an investor called Orange. Orange is the French telecom operator. What these guys do is obviously they are very strong in France and they keep expanding in Francophone Africa. Uh, and, and, you know, in Francophone Africa, the way people consume uh, telcos is through what we call uh, prepaid cards. You know, in developed countries, you have plans that you pay later. Uh, yep. But in, in our countries, you, you, you pay before you consume. Mostly prepaid. And yep. Mostly prepaid. And the distribution channels are usually the small grocery stores. So reality is me and Orange do handle the same shops. 
So and that, by the way, that's why they invested in our pre-seed, in our seed, in our Series A. Uh, they even call it the Series A mainly because um, they are today using us for for the go-to go market. So for me, when I expand to Ivory Coast, for instance, or if I go tomorrow to Senegal, uh, I'm just one full phone call away from the country manager of of Orange, to whom I'm saying, hey, let's team up. Uh, to cover your stops, your shops, give me your database so I can, as of tomorrow, start selling the scratch cards, uh, scratch cards to them. So that's an example. Right. We also got in our cap table uh, an amazing group out of Mauritania, um, sorry, out of Madagascar called Action. This Action is an amazing telecom operator in Francophone Africa, uh, an amazing fintech player in the region. And they are helping us also a lot uh, with our expansion. So let's say that our synergies are with Francophone Africa. Yeah. We also speak French. My team speak French. And at the end of the day, uh, we keep this, this French culture. Got it. Yeah. No, I mean, so you have inherent competitive advantages uh, when you're focusing on Francophone Africa. Uh, and you've made them very clear. And thank you for that. Um, Okay, so uh, now I'm going maybe to the fundraising aspect of, of, of startups. And, you know, I mean, Sherry is a YC company. And after YC, not, not long after you were able to raise your first round, I think it was $5 million. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about YC. Has it bit made a difference to you uh, as an experience or not? Honestly. Uh Again, uh, put, put yourself in the shoes of a startup who started his venture in, in Morocco, right? Uh, and and uh, Morocco is just starting as a startup scene. Again, when I started, there was uh, nothing. And I had uh, first to explain what was a startup. Thankfully, things have changed. Today, the local administration has realized how important could be the startups and they are doing a lot of things for startups and we are very thankful to them because things are changing rapidly. Um, but still, you remain in, a, in, a, in Francophone Africa, in a, in a relatively small country. So when you speak to an American VC, he, he doesn't really consider you unless you've gone through, through YC. So of course, uh, YC was for us an amazing spotlight and it brought uh, light on us and we I would have never spoken to uh, Oliver somewhere from uh, Rocket Internet if uh, I didn't go through through YC. We also have uh, Harvard University as an investor in Shari, so it tells you a lot about the prestige uh, YC is bringing you on top of a lot of other things. I don't want to say that YC is only uh, helping you with raising funds. That's not true. YC is bringing you a lot of other things. First, you get to know amazing um, startups. You realize that you are not the only one, again, in this emotional roller coaster, and that helps you a lot to discover that in this journey you are not by yourself. Um, and it also, and that's very important. That's maybe what has helped me the the most uh, at YC. It it makes you meet and see some very inspirational people and people who've made it. So when, you, when you get into YC, you get into a call with the founder of Airbnb. Uh, and you realize that the guy is so down to earth 
and he is so normal. He's just like you. Just that he made it. And you realize that if he made it, I mean, you can keep dreaming of also making it. So that inspirational talks you get from them gives you a lot of um, motivation. And I think, I think motivation is also a question of iteration. The, the, the more you speak with amazing people, the more you get this ambition and you get this motivation to keep working hard and to keep, you know, having amazing uh, objectives and aiming uh, the moon. So YC is an amazing uh, environment to help you iterate your motivation and ambition. So thanks YC again for everything. <laughs> but they are very costly. Huh? They, they, they take a lot from your cap table. Oh, but yeah. it's, it's fully deserved. fully deserved. Yes. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it has to be deserved, right? Um, if it's that expensive. Um, so, uh, can you tell us more about, I mean, how you got into YC, how you went through that experience? I mean, your operation is in Morocco, so I mean, YC is all the way, you know, in California. How, how did you manage that? Uh, uh, you know, uh, I'll be transparent. I, I wasn't very familiar with YC. Uh, uh, again, I was doing my business in, in Morocco. Um, but then uh, I, uh, my first, uh, my, so my first investor, so, so basically plug and play came to Morocco. I don't know if you are familiar with plug and play tech center, yes. but it's a kind of accelerator. Uh, they were brought to Morocco by an amazing uh, university called the uh, University Mohammed VI Polytechnic uh, that started creating a tech ecosystem and they brought uh, P, uh, PNP to help them build it. So we were very fortunate nice. to get accelerated at, at PNP. So PNP came at the same time as Orange. They were our first uh, uh, pre-seed uh, investors with a third fund called SP Capital. Um, and, and then thanks to PNP and Orange, um, I could discover the, the world of, of accelerators. And Orange took me then to um, a place in Paris called Station F. And Station F is the biggest campus of startups in yep. the world. It's an amazing place. If you haven't visited it, you should definitely go. Um, so we were the first Moroccan company to be accepted in a very selective program called the Founders Program of Station F. That was back in 20, uh, end of 2020, so one year uh, at the end of the year in which we started. Um, and there I started meeting with amazing French founders who started telling me about YC. So I first applied uh, by the end of 2021, of 2020, uh, to YC. Uh, so my VCs made a recommendation for me. So I was very fortunate. I get, I get, I got, uh, an in, um, my first uh, interview with YC that was, that went very bad. <laughs> so we got rejected actually really? the first time okay. we applied, we got rejected. However, when they rejected us, they sent us a list of reasons uh, why they rejected us. Uh, so with my co-founder, who happens to be also my wife, um, we took all of these reasons and we worked on them. And whenever we were solving one and checked the box, we were sending back a message to the YC partner who rejected us by saying, look, you said that we couldn't do that. We've done it. Done. 
And we've done this over the coming six months until we went through the whole list. And then before we, reply, we replied, we sent a message by saying, hey, we've crossed all the boxes. No, we are replying. We want another interview. And he was nice enough to uh, help us get the second interview. And obviously, thanks to our experience from the first one. And again, it's a matter of iteration. And this is the, this is the definition of a startup. It's yep. when you get restricted, when you fail, when you fall down, again, learn, iterate, stand up, and try again. So that's exactly what happened with us with YC. We failed the first time, learned from our mistake, went back to them, and told them, hey, guys, we fixed the issues. We are now ready. And again, I think what they liked in us is the fact that uh, we try it again and again. So if there are uh, founders uh, listening to us today, never take no as an, as a, as an answer. Keep trying uh, until they say yes. So we kept pushing and they finally accepted us. So uh, we were part of the YC 2021 batch. First, so we were two com Moroccan companies in this batch, two first companies to get accepted in YC nice. ever. Very proud of it. And obviously, it changed our uh, the rest of our story. Yeah. And I would say even before joining, it changed your story because as you were crossing off that list of issues, you were improving Sherry, actually. So yeah, YC helped you even from that. Uh, and, and really, a startup is a learning machine. It's just about learning, making a mistake, learning, improving, making a mistake, learning, improving, persisting, persisting until you get there, so to speak. So that's a great story. <laughs> and it's incredible that you have Harvard as well, because I mean, the Harvard endowment, I mean, they're investing billions of dollars, not millions of dollars. And uh, they're usually investing in the investors, in the in the VC funds who then invest in startups. For them to invest directly in a startup, they must have really believed in you. I, I'll, I'll give you an inside info. And uh -huh. again, you've done a lot of work, but I'm sure you don't have this one. Um, <laughs> so of, of course, we are very, very uh, fortunate to have a Harvard management found in our cap table. But on top of having invested in, uh, in, in Shari, uh, they've also written a business case about Shari. Oh, nice. So we are also proud of having our own uh, business case at Harvard Business School. So uh, MBA students, we also received a few MBA students uh, in, um, the, in Morocco. Uh, some of them did a kind of internship in, in Sherry. Nice. And we have an amazing uh, business case about Sherry, and I'm happy to share it here with you. You can go on hbs.sherry.com, and you will be able to read the business case Harvard University has written cool. about, uh, about Sherry. So uh, it's a great honor, and, so, uh, yeah. and we are happy. You, you've joined the the business hall of fame you know <laughs> cool really cool so going back maybe a little to the beginning of the story and 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 you're going you're you're this small startup hardly any funding you know no customers almost and and you're going to png to tell them we want to be your distributor it's like how does that come about how did you convince them how did you get those first suppliers 
at the very beginning, we couldn't convince any supplier. Nobody wanted to work with us because nobody understood what we were going to do and nobody wanted to disrupt their go-to-market strategy. And you know, when you are a, a multinational, uh, you want to make sure that you won't, you know, uh, affect any of your sales. Yep. Um, so uh, because nobody wanted to work with us, what we did was very simple. We went to a local cash and carry store, a big Carrefour shop in the outskirts. And, and what we did, and maybe I shouldn't say that, but that's our starts. But we waited in the parking lot, looking at what the... So the buyers of these, these cash and carry stores are usually B2B stores that are, again, outside of the cities where the shopkeepers go for, the, for you know, their procurement. So we, we stayed mm -hmm. in this parking lot. We start, uh, started look, looking to, uh, into the, ba the baskets, you know, the trolleys, when they were putting the goods in their trunks. <laughs> we were looking uh, what were the goods, you know, just to have a hint of what we should start buying. Uh -huh. And then uh, we started printing some flyers by saying to the shopkeepers, hey, you know, next time you don't need to come back to the shop just use our app so uh, you can order and we will de deliver the goods to you for free at your place. Uh, then it didn't really work because the guys didn't know how to use the app. So then we replaced the, 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 the flyers, the same flyers, instead of saying, hey, use the app, we said, hey, call us on the phone. That's how right. it picked up. So we had a few uh, customers starting calling us. When they called us, basically, they were telling us what they wanted. And we had a team within the shop buying immediately the goods. Uh, and then we were uh, delivering the goods the very same day to the client without getting any margin. Obviously, we were buying at X and reselling at X. So we were subsidizing the delivery costs. But at yep. least it helped us learn what were the expectations of the users learn what were the goods they wanted to buy, get some data and insights until we got kicked, by the way, by, by this shop. When the, the manager of the shop realized what we were doing, they kicked us out. Then we had to go to another shop another <laughs> and one. we did the experience. <laughs> uh, and then after six months of work and after having burned uh, some money, we went back to see the suppliers and we came to them with this business intelligence app that had some data by saying, look guys, what we are offering to you is not only a distribution service that any other distributor or any other wholesaler can offer. What we are offering to you is a market intelligence tool that will help you find out basically what's going on on the trade and on the traditional trade. Because before us, they were blind on what was going on. And you know, in Morocco, some goods are being smuggled from other, from Algeria or from Mauritania. Some goods are being exported. So they had no clue about what was going on. And thanks to our technology, again, because we have digitized the whole value chain from receiving the orders to preparing the orders to delivering the orders, we are able basically to tell them in details what's going on on the trade. And that's what started helping us um, 
convince the first suppliers to work with us. And then when you get your first suppliers, it's obviously much easier to get the second one, like with the VCs, right? The, the most important, I mean, the most difficult part is to convince the first VC. Then the second VC, take into account that you have convinced the first one. It's the same with the supplier, right? When you go see uh, whoever by saying, look, L'Oréal has signed a partnership with us and look at the contract, then they say, okay, if L'Oréal has worked with these guys, maybe they are solid, maybe they are serious, maybe we can trust them. And that's how things move ahead. Really cool. So, um, as expected, I have so many things that I'd like to cover and, and time is kind of running out, so I'm going to have to choose what we uh, cover. So, let me ask you, maybe the next question is, uh, do you consider Sherry more of a supply chain company or a fintech company? Because I see you're adding more and more services in that area. It's a, it's a, it's a, again, it's a, it's a good question. So, Sherry is before everything a tech company. Okay, and then Shari is using the, the logistic vertical or the supply chain vertical as what I call myself a Trojan horse. Again, remember the unit economics of the supply chain are slim. However, it's an amazing vertical to acquire users, to grow fast and to build trust. And without this trust, you can't do anything. So we are a fintech company that is using supply chain to acquire users and trust and then monetize them through fintech services. That's how I call myself. At the very beginning, we were an e-commerce company with embedded fintech. We could get a license from the Central Bank of Morocco to become a fintech player and a payment institution. So now we've became a fintech company with embedded e-commerce. Interesting. Um, okay, so... Maybe a final thing I, I want to ask you is, of course, uh, the the question that I, I suppose some investors have asked you and many people have asked you, which is, you know, about starting a company with your wife. Uh, of course, there are like people who've done that before. So like uh, the, the, the founders of Canva were in a relationship and now they're married. Uh, the Stripe uh, founders are uh, brothers, etc., but I can see how it can get complicated, you know. So I can see how a conversation can start with, hey, you didn't attend the our son's soccer match like you promised. And then it can go, and you didn't prepare for that board meeting well enough, you know. And, and you know, things can get complicated. So any best practices for starting a company with families, uh, with family members? <laughs> I think I think the... the... The example you gave about, hey, you didn't attend the soccer match of our son is a question that is much more uh, asked uh, to uh, a founder that is not uh, working with his partner. 
mainly because a partner would never understand what's the life of a founder until uh, she or he experiences it. <laughs> and Good again, point. because my wife is with me, she knows exactly why sometime I have to miss uh, the, the, the soccer play of, of my son. <laughs> uh, and she's much more, uh, you know, understanding. And sometimes I keep thanking God that we work together because at least I don't need to explain to her why I am such in a bad mood or why, uh, you know, uh, things, things are difficult. I think nobody can understand what is the life of a founder if he's not a, or she's not a founder himself or herself. Um, however, as you said, it's not that easy, obviously, to, uh, to work in a, in a couple as a couple unless uh, you put in place the the right rules and with my wife uh, who happens also to be a, a strategy consultant uh, uh, and she used to work with the for mckinsey exactly. so we have we have the same frameworks at least we think the same way and we have the same way of logic so uh, we don't find we don't fight too much about logic we find more about the content uh, the and, and uh, but but the, the rules are very simple uh, we 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 make sure to uh, never speak about home at work and we make sure to never speak about work at home so once back home we take care of our kids we have two kids together and we try not to bright not, not to bring up you know the the topics of the day and same at work when we are with our colleagues, nobody knows. I mean, you couldn't feel that we are married unless you, you know it, obviously. So that's rule number one. And, and maybe rule number two, which is also very important, even though more difficult to put in place, is we try to separate our, um, the things we cover. So Sofia is in charge of mm. the operations. And I try not to, uh, you know, get or uh, overlap with her duties. Obviously, we have meetings in which everyone has to report to the other, but we I don't op uh, overlap with her operations and she doesn't uh, overlap with mine. Myself, again, I am in charge of the fintech expansion. I am in charge of uh, fundraising, of the strategy, of the investors' relationships and she doesn't overlap with me. And by separating, again, the duties, uh, there is less room for fighting, right? <laughs> for fighting. Right. So that's basically are the secret, the two secrets of the fact that uh -huh. we've been working together for almost four years without any major issues. And, I and think, also- I mean, The second secret is, yeah, go ahead, sorry. And one last thing, one last thing, maybe one third secret, uh, we do a lot of team building together. So I convinced her to start uh, skydiving with me. She has jumped ah. over uh, 50 times and I'm very proud of her because wow. she could uh, overtake her fears. Uh, she also passed successfully her private uh, pilot license. Uh, so that also was great. And she did it. I know that she did it for me. Uh, so uh, we... We prepared also some uh, Ironman together and, uh, and we are very fortunate to share a lot of patience. And I think that these uh, patients are what are helping us, again, overcome all the challenges of, of, of the business. Beautiful. 
And I, I think actually the last two also could work for any co-founders, you know, to separate uh, responsibilities um, and also to, to have like team stuff that you do together. So um, even though I have so many questions, but we're, we're running out of time, so I'll just go into the quick fire round of questions. So basically I ask a quick question, you give me a quick uh, answer and then we wrap up. Okay. Okay. All right. So the first one is what what book or books do you like to recommend to others? <laughs> um, I say one book, uh, The Power of Habits. It's amazing mm -hmm. uh, how uh, so Power of Habits, and you have another one called Atomic Habits. Basically, yep. it's a personal development book that allows you to be a better yourself by putting things in in steps. Uh, and making it easier and I have been applying this to me and it seems to be working cool okay um, how do you unwind how do you relax how do you stay energized <laughs> I told you I told you thanks to my yeah. extreme jumping sport. from planes <laughs> <laughs> when you jump from a plane at a four kilometer altitude one jump yeah. only make you forget about all of your stress yeah try it, it changes your try perspective it. completely uh, actually, it does sound like an interesting thing. Uh, you know, President, uh, the, the senior George Bush uh, uh, celebrated his 90th birthday by jumping from a plane. So I hope I don't wait until my 90th birthday. So, um, okay. Um, and, uh, third question. Who do you think we should have as a guest on the podcast? Oh, um, please bring someone from Francophone Africa. I think Anglophone yeah. Africa is overrepresented, and unfortunately, okay. in Francophone Africa, underrepresented. There are a lot of amazing founders there that deserve uh, light on them. Unfortunately, they don't. They are not receiving as much uh, again uh, visibility as the Anglophones ones. So please, for, yeah. I can help you. Absolutely, but there are a lot of amazing ones. Maybe one guy yeah. that you know. Uh, Nurdin Tayyibi from Yasir. Uh, yeah. I will introduce you. He's an amazing guy. We already interviewed him in the first season. So, I mean, we've already interviewed And he oh, actually really? recommended that, that I speak to you. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, so uh, I will follow up with you, though. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate okay. that. And there, I, is, I, there is an amazing love, one called. Yeah. There is an amazing one called uh, Bola, who runs a company, a health tech company called Susu. Together, we made it to the top mm -hmm. 10 uh, African business heroes. That was uh, two days ago in, uh, in Kigali. Uh, mm -hmm. She is a lady, uh, super lady, super pumped. Perfect. Uh, and deserves, deserves to, be, to be on your, uh, on your uh, yeah. talk show. I'll, I'll definitely follow up with you. Um, so um, is there anything else you want to say? Is there, um, uh, if you want people to reach you, how can they reach out to you to, uh, to discuss business maybe or expansion or whatever? Is there something you want so, to talk about? No, I think, I think the, the best way to reach out to me is through LinkedIn. Uh, I'm right. usually very reactive. Uh, I think it's an amazing platform to stay in touch with people. It's very professional. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, please feel free to add me as a, as a contact uh, feel free to send me private messages i usually answer them uh, in the weekends uh, so happy to get in touch with anyone 
who uh, loves uh, fintech and e-commerce that's uh, patience for me so uh, happy to get to know more people in that field so thank you very much for your time ismail um i always like to end the podcast on a gratitude so just if you can share with us what is a gift someone has given you that that has had a large effect on your life positive effect wow um listen um I keep uh, getting gifts uh, every single day because I keep uh, getting feedbacks from uh, my family, from my team. And I think um, the best gift you could ever get is to start listening to people around you uh, who are telling you how to be a better person. And, uh, And by being a better person, you become a much happier person. So we don't usually realize it but we keep receiving a lot of gifts per day the question is how can you make the most of them i totally agree and thank you very much ismail for your time uh, uh, thank you very much thank you for inviting me it was a real pleasure to get to know you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of startups arabia podcast If there was something you really liked about what the guests said today, reach out to them on social media and tell them what you liked. And of course, if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? You don't want to miss any of our great upcoming episodes. Also, please rate us and give us comments on our social media accounts so that we know how to improve. And also tell us what you like. We don't mind hearing that either. Until next time, this was your host, Ali Zweil.